We're back to the series now in the DNA of the New Testament church as we're looking at this during our 50th anniversary, looking at the key aspects of what a New Testament church should truly hold on to, believe, how it should operate, and we're trying to cover as many different aspects as we can during this entire year. Today we're looking at one of the important distinctives, really, of a New Testament church, and that is biblical separation, biblical separation and the church. And I want to keep this as simple as I can here today because it is really core Bible Christianity as as far as our individual living and what a church is all about. Individuals, when we are saved, the Bible says that we are now in Christ. Now, let me ask you, Is Christ above and separated from all things? Is he not perfectly holy? Well, we all know that. And so if we are in Christ, one with Christ, well, there immediately we find that we as believers have a unique, glorious, by the way, position to be in him. And who are we indwelt with? Who is in our soul the moment we were saved? He regenerated us and indwelt us. The Holy Spirit. Hmm, That name says a lot, doesn't it? And he's in our spirit that has been regenerated in righteousness and true holiness. And so the believer clearly is not as he was before he was saved. The believer is a new creation in Christ. The church is called Christ's body. The head of the church is Christ. And again, I remind you that Christ is perfectly holy and Christ is separate from all that is ungodly in this world. He is truth, he is light, he is perfect. And we are his body and so we as a church must understand that he is our standard as far as how we should live and how we should operate. And the very word church has the idea of an assembly that is grouped together for a purpose separate from all others. In other words, this uh, group is assembled for a a key purpose. And a lot of times we say a church is really the called out assembly of believers called out from the world. And uh, so we are a separate assembly. And I do want to remind you that the world is not under the control, the unregenerate world is not under the uh, control of Christ. People have to choose him by faith. Now, God is sovereign over all, but God has allowed in the economy of how he has planned things, Satan is the God, little g, of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. And so you have the church being the body of Christ and you have the world under the control of Satan. Polar opposites, folks. So the matter of biblical separation is simply a realization of who we are individually and who we are corporately in Christ. J.D. Pentecost said, a surgeon who selects a scalpel in the operating room rejects a scalpel with a minute spot of defilement on it as readily as one that was severely defiled because even the smallest spot means the scalpel is defiled and cannot be used in surgery. The degree of defilement is inconsequential. 
The fact of defilement is what matters to the surgeon. A thing is sterile or defiled, clean or unclean. There's no in between. A person is holy or unholy. God is not concerned with degrees, only with the absolute. So we must keep that in mind, that God is calling us to be a holy people, a clean people, a usable people. Now, we're going to be looking at one verse, though we will refer back in context to the verses before it in the previous chapter, and that is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you'll turn there with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at this very important verse. While you are going there, let me read an Old Testament verse that really gives you the heart of God for his own people as far as a nation, that was Israel, and of course now for us as individuals, Leviticus 20, 26, and ye shall be holy unto me, separated unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and hath severed you, separated you from other people. Why? To make you miserable? No. <laughs> that ye should be mine. Isn't that wonderful? that ye should be mine. You see, this is all about God loving us. This is all about the privilege of knowing him. This is all about the special relationship with him. And it all stems, folks, from not who we are, but who God is. And therefore, uh, our salvation, who we are in him, that's the perspective that we need to have. And so let's read uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So I want to just give, first of all, this concept. Biblical separation unlocks promises regarding our relationship to the Lord. Biblical separation unlocks promises regarding our relationship to the Lord. Now let's go back to the context because this verse is the conclusion of some previous verses. He's dealing here with the problem of some of the division within that church, some of the wrong attitudes within that church, and it clearly came from relationships they were having with unbelievers, having with those that were religious or even within, quote, Christendom, but were not uh, espousing the truth. Uh, verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Let me just say, in all the vital spiritual relationships of our life, we must not have a union with uh, an unbeliever. Now, we work with unbelievers. But you've got to be very careful about partnerships. Above all, you've got to be very careful about marriage, uh, young people. Uh, this is very uh, applicable there. I'm not preaching on that today. Uh, but it's uh, because uh, the Bible's very clear here. What fellowship can righteousness have with unrighteousness? V verse 15, And what concord hath Christ with Belial, the gods of this world? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. 
As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Here again, you have this idea of not allowing uh, anti-God teaching, unbiblical teaching, or uh, schismatic teaching that is partially off to affect us because God wants us to live in purity, in truth, and in life so that we can have fellowship with him as his people. It's all about knowing God and coming into the realization of why he has saved us, created us, and saved us. And so here we have the assurance that we are the temple of the living God, and, uh, and he will dwell with us, and he will walk with us, and he'll be our God, and we will be his people. Look at verse 17, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. All those who do not believe right, all of them, and we're talking about union with them in a uh, full fellowship context, and be ye separate, there's where the term separation comes from, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Why? And I will receive you. I will have fellowship with you. I will walk with you. But here's the precious part. Look at verse 18. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, friends, if you look, if you study that section there, this matter of separation is a big deal. It has everything to do with our relationship with the God who has purchased our salvation on the cross. He died for uh, the defilement of the world and sin in our life. He paid the ultimate price for us and beyond uh, so that we could have eternal fellowship with him and eternal life and have his righteousness. And so therefore, as individuals, folks, and as a church, we cannot, for the sake of being more popular, being uh, trying to be, um, uh, have a uh, maybe a tolerant kind of attitude to try to, uh, to do things that we ought to do. We cannot compromise on truth individually or corporately. The minute we do, we're not legitimate and we've lost fellowship with God. Now, this matter of relationship, knowing his presence, and this is... Uh, um, this point comes back to, I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. We are God's dwelling place today. It says earlier there, we are the temple of God. That's emphasized in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We, have, we, we can't be involved with any kind of worship uh, of this world. We ourselves have the privilege of worshiping God individually. And when we gather together as God's people, this is uh, uh, the presence of the Lord is here where two or three are gathered together. There I am in the midst. And we are talking about a holy God. And so as a church, as individuals, we got to understand that God longs to have fellowship with us. He wants us to understand our special relationship with him. He wants to uh, bless us more than we can understand how much he wants to bless us. But we cannot be linked up with untruth. We cannot be un, uh, linked up with unholiness. Uh, we cannot uh, be friends of this world. It doesn't go together. And let me just say right now, 
and I've said this many times, but the problems in our country today are not the fault of the secularists. Oh, sure, they're behind what we're seeing. It's the churches of the living God who have not held to this principle. The power and blessing of God comes uh, upon those that love him and his word and want to fellowship with him above anything else. Folks, it's not up for us to decide what we believe in this church. We must do under the leadership of the Holy Spirit as best as we can to know and obey this book. When you think about it, think of the distinctives that I went over, biblical authority. Uh, the, we don't have any other authority. It's biblical authority. The autonomy of the local church. We are responsible alone for this church, and we must make the decisions to keep this church uh, loyal to the truth and loyal to godly living based upon the truth. The priesthood of every believer and soul liberty, both of those points uh, are very important for each of us to understand that you have the opportunity to stand before God and obtain the victory that God wants you to have. And collectively we gather together showing forth that, that full voluntary uh, submission to his lordship and therefore we then as a church submit to his lordship as the body of Christ. And, um, and so this is a key part of what a New Testament church should be. And so he wants to have a very close relationship with us. But you know, a lot of times we put our own thinking over the truth. Otto van Bismarck, the Iron Chancellor of Germany, he hated going to the doctor. Well, that's about every man here's problem, right? Okay. All the ladies, um, I won't have you say amen, but you know the problem. All right. But one time he was sick enough that he had to go to the doctor. And um, he had no choice. When the doctor said he could help him, Bismarck, you know, in his way, replied, okay, but don't ask me a lot of questions. <laughs> the doctor shot back saying, well, then you better just go to the vet. <laughs> yeah, think about it. Pretty bold uh, to Bismarck to say that. But who do we think we are? Our God has all the answers, and he loves us, and he wants us to be close to him. He wants to, he wants to bless us. He wants to be a father, as, as uh, verse 18 said. He wants us to realize that we're his sons and daughters. We have a special relationship. We are his but when we get that independent spirit and want some of the, the uh, pleasures of this world and want the acknowledgement of this world and we have our own ideas, we get ourselves in real trouble individually. And let me tell you, churches really get in trouble when they do that. We need to listen to him because he knows how to solve our illnesses spiritually, right? And the only way we're going to have God's blessing is to truly follow him. Draw an eye to God. We often... Uh, we'll talk about that verse in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw an eye to God, and he will draw an eye to you. Ah, but we don't go on sometimes. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Folks, God doesn't want us to get right with him because, again, he wants to make us miserable. He wants to free us. 
He wants to apply the glorious victory of the cross to our life so that self is overcome and the fullness of life that he paid so much to purchase can be ours and we can come into a glorious relationship with him. And my friend, when a church comes into that kind of relationship, that's really revival because there's nothing hindering walking with God. As I said, folks, separation is not negative. It is glorious. And so he wants us to enjoy his fellowship. One of the most sobering verses is in Revelation chapter 3, those uh, churches that represented the church age before the rapture of the church in chapter 4. The last one there, uh, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That's not the door of a lost person. He's knocking on the church's door. You know, churches do quite fine with their potlucks and all their gatherings and all the things they do and all their, uh, I could mention a bunch of stuff we would never even think about doing and all that they just, they do. And uh, good churches can do that. But he wants to fellowship with us. And let me remind you, it's not just the individual here he's talking about. He wants to fellowship with this church. He wants to be so revealed to us individually that we as a church cannot get away from the reality of our Savior, how much he loves us, how special we are to him, and that we realize this is what life is about. And no matter what's going on around us, we are just right in the center of knowing God Almighty who rules the universe. It's a great place to be. And, uh, and that's what he's saying in those verses in chapter 6. And you notice verse 1, uh, that's where I got this first point from, having therefore these promises dearly beloved. These are promises. God will meet with us. He will be a father to us. He will draw nigh to us. He does indwell us. This is a reality. But you've got to understand you cannot be unequally yoked. You've got to be willing uh, to come out from among them and be separate. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. All right, let's go on to point number two. This is given as a priority of the Lord. Uh, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Every aspect of our life, actions of our of our our life, our body, soul, and then the matter of our spirit. Every aspect should be cleansed by the Lord. But it is an act of the will. It's an exhortation here that demands an action of the will. We are responsible. Folks, every day you should be separate unto God. Now, obviously, it ought not be a big deal all the time because you're already there. 48 plus years ago, I separated myself from all others to be the husband of my wife. And I'm so thankful for that time. And that means then I separate myself daily from all others. But, you know, that's pretty settled. She's the love of my life. I'm committed to her, and she's certainly committed to me, thank God. And, I mean, it's a real deal. But you do have to put parameters down in your life. And you do have to be, be conscious. But, you know, our 
separating ourselves to God ought not be this oh, hard thing every day. It ought to be, you're ours. You want me to be, you, you want me as yours. I need, Lord, I don't want anything in my life that's going to hinder drawing nigh to you and you drawing nigh to me. I don't want that to happen. And, um, and so uh, this is an action of the will. We need, uh, it has the idea of make clean. And that's all through confessing our sins, being honest with God, growing and letting God work in our lives. The submarine Squalus and his crew lay helpless at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, 240 feet below the surface. They sent up smoke flares, and finally, the submarine Sculpin located them. A 10-ton diving bell was lowered several times, bringing to safety the 33 survivors, surviving members of the crew. Now, it's very interesting. Not one of the 33 men said, I'll think it over, or I'll wait for a more convenient time, or I'm in, con as good a, you know, I'm in good condition as I am. Or that's too much to give up, leaving this uh, submarine. I don't understand it. I'll wait till tomorrow. <laughs> no, that's ridiculous, of course. They all were glad to get into uh, the diving bell so they could be rescued. Well, that's a wonderful illustration for the loss. But, folks, it's really important for the believer. You know, we need to make the decision. It isn't about us doing something for God, folks. It's about God rescuing us. And giving us what he wants. Why in the world do we find it so hard to leave the world behind? Why is it so difficult for us to make those decisions not to be around situations that will hurt us and be compromising in our lives? Why is it that churches have difficulty with that? Well, the only answer, of course, is we have a wrong view of our God, a wrong view of what it means. We have forgotten how much he wants to bless us and we're filled with more self than we know because it makes absolutely no sense. So it is a decision of the will, and of course, to be able to cleanse ourselves, it's, it's based on the work of Christ. We looked uh, some weeks ago at 1 Corinthians 3, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. This has an individual idea, but in the context, this is really speaking of the church and how important it is because God is working, this is his business, how important it is that um, we do not defile the temple of God. The great missionary David Brainerd, who had a short life uh, before he died before he was 30, he ministered to the Delaware people. Uh, there on the East Coast, the Native Americans, and he actually experienced massive revival. And he said, I find uh, my Indians begin to put on the garments of holiness, and their common life begins to be sanctified even in small matters when they are possessed by the doctrine of Christ and Him crucified. In other words, they understand what they have in Christ, not just for salvation but for sanctification. And I'm telling you, that Native American nation became more godly than the English in those areas because they experienced genuine revival. It was an amazing thing.
And we are to cleanse ourselves from how much filthiness of the flesh and spirit? All. It's comprehensive. It's exhaustive. And I'm just going to quickly go over this, but folks, God means business about this. False teachers um, are not to be allowed in our church. You think of the Glide Memorial Methodist Church, which used to be a bastion of evangelism and godliness. And uh, years ago, Already, They had in their bulletin where all Christians, Jews, liberals, Bolsheviks, anarchists, socialists, and it goes on to all kinds of things. And um, that's an amazing thing. But that's what happens when you allow uh, wrong teaching into a church and into people's lives. You have churches today, the mainline denominations, and unfortunately many of the large evangelical churches that have bent to a... uh, wrong view of a mixture of humanism and Bible Christianity, socialistic thinking, wokeism, on and on I could go. Uh, How can that happen when that goes directly contrary to the Word of God? Uh, It's because there, there is a vision for that church that does not include being completely under the authority of the Word of God. And, um, reminds me of the story, I've mentioned this before, of a of a man who didn't like the cost of oats, so he started feeding his uh, mule uh, sawdust. He gradually put it in his diet, and everything went fine. The mule got adjusted to it. The only problem was the mule died because you can't live on sawdust for a mule. Well, that's exactly what happens to, to individuals and in churches. You stop um, having truth be that which you are imbibing, and you start having uh, the sawdust of untruth and falsehood come, eventually there will be a spiritual death. And folks, there are churches that, all, that serve as monuments of death all over our area and all across our country that used to preach the gospel. This is not something that's a small matter, folks. And it's always the downward trend. We want to do what's easy. We like to be liked. We... Um, Uh, get off of God's agenda. And believe me, uh, if we're not uh, fully separated unto the head of the church and our lives are not all that God wants them to be, we'll go down that line. The Bible says, if you see false teaching, try them. Uh, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Mark them. Romans 16, 17. I won't read the whole verse, but it talks about Mark them which cause divisions and offenses uh, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Rebuke them, Titus 1.10, for there are many ungodly and vain talkers and deceivers. And you go down on all the things that they were doing to hinder the church. And then verse 13, this witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they be sound in the faith. We're not to have fellowship. Um, with them. Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We are not to receive them. Second John uh, 10, if there come un- any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. By the way, I don't have time to preach on this, but if somebody comes and wants to talk to you about any kind of cult or religion that denies the deity of Christ, be nice be a good Christian, but be unwilling to talk with them, except if you can witness directly yourself. But do not have fellowship with them. The Bible has no place when we start accepting on equal level that which is unbiblical. 
And so be very careful. And then disobedient, disorderly brethren, those that lead people away from obedience to Christ, not willing to, to listen. We're to be separated from those, those who have schismatic views. The one that caused evangelicalism, those that believe truly in salvation by faith, that caused evangelicalism to, to begin to uh, have fellowship with unbelievers, uh, was a brilliant man, and uh, he... Um, but he caused this lack of separation to come. But hear what he said a couple of years before he started doing this. In this present great apostasy from New Testament Christianity, we could see a sign which will warn us in believing that Christ's coming may not be far away. There has always been some measure of apostasy, and at times that apostasy has been great, but not as it has been in the last 50 years. And that's a great statement, by the way, just a few years later. His leadership corrupted thousands of churches. Now, folks, we got to realize it can happen. And so we got to withdraw ourselves. I don't have time to go into it. Second uh, Thessalonians 3, 6, uh, from those that are going the wrong direction um, and sec, uh, have no company with them. Second Thessalonians 3, 14, reject them. Titus 3, 10, do not keep company. These are those that are sinning according to the flesh. That's church this one, 1 Corinthians 5, 11. And then thirdly, uh, this matter of separation is a key to spiritual growth in the Lord. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, let me make this statement here as We'll be concluding. You cannot have sanctification and fellowship without separation. The basis and per, uh, prerequisite for the Spirit to give victory is based on this. I love that story of the little girl. Uh, the offering plate was passed. She took it and then put it on the floor and stood in it. And the, uh, the usher asked her what in the world she was doing and said, well, in Sunday school, I learned that I was supposed to give myself to God. Uh, it's a cute little story, but honestly, folks, that's where this all be begins. He is ours and we are his. And we see that as a glorious thing. And so then the, it allows the Holy Spirit to transform us, perfecting holiness. And God begins to change us. And, uh, but he will not work if we have known sin. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Ephesians 4.30. Don't quench the Spirit of God, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Our relationship cannot be built, our church cannot be what it ought to be, and our individual lives cannot be if we're close to the world. James 4, 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is what? An enemy of God. Now, folks, these are serious statements. And again, folks, it is for your sake and mine. It's for this church to have multiplied blessings and it's for each of us individually to have a walk with our God and allows the Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh. And I just want to conclude with this note in the fear of God. That word uh, is, means dread terror. Folks, our God is the creator and the judge of the universe. We have such a warm heart toward him as we should because he is our father. 
Now, folks, we must cleanse ourselves because of who he is in the fear of God. And uh, I read, as I was studying, I read the commentary by H.A. Ironside on this very passage. He wrote this in 1939, and he spent a couple of pages talking about the lack of the fear of God in churches of that day. Talked about how, how he's, his heart is stirred to indignation as newspapers and magazines glorified sin. And these uh, magazines were coming into the, into the homes of believers and talking about how terrible it was that they made uh, drinking a beautiful thing. And he goes on to say, Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle, and maketh him drunken also. Look not on the wine when it is red. My heart is stirred when I think of these things. 1939. The reason we're here in 2024 is that we've, we're like the frog in the kettle. We've just gotten used to it. You know, I don't think it'd be too bad for us to get a little bit broken again about sin in our country. I'm telling you, all the big issues of our day, people are getting hurt by the scores because of it. When you go directly against God's commands, the creation commands, those people are just walking into Satan's ugly trap. And they are suffering beyond what we know. And their testimonies will tell you that. And so we need to understand that it's our decision as an individual and as a church to cleanse ourselves, to come out from among them and be separate, to not be unequally yoked. Now, I haven't covered all the issues. I could spend the next 10 hours going over the issues. And we go over those individually when they come up. But I just want you to know a New Testament church is loyal to him. Whatever the cost, whatever even misunderstandings, and in a culture that's becoming increasingly secular, that's going to happen. And my friends, it's my heart as the pastor of this church. I don't care what happens culturally. I don't care what pressures there are. This church must be biblically sound, must be loyal to the Savior, must be willing to separate from all in truth and not allow it to come in just so we can be acceptable in the culture. There is no power, there is no transformation, there is no blessing, and there's no relationship when we do not make that decision by faith to allow him to be fully God in our lives individually and as a church. Let's bow for prayer.